talking about Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8 in the English, chapter 12 in the Hebrew, and uh, specifically the phrase, um, the apple of his eye, or as the, uh, what was it, the revised standard version, the new revised standard version, renders it as the apple of my eye. And having read in the um, Jewish study Bible, the Oxford Jewish study Bible, uh, it explains, in fact, I'll grab it. Hang on. Okay. I found this particularly interesting. I've actually got, what is this, one, two three, four, I've got five Bibles open at the moment, but uh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this because it is just interesting and you know how I get (laughs) infatuated with these little things. Right. But verse 12 has a study note here um, which says, according to Mechilta, uh, Shirata 6.10, the original text reads, the pupil of my own eye. Uh, and was changed by the Sofarim, uh, the scribes, uh, so as to avoid the obvious anthropomorphism. There's a word, anthropomorph. Mm. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so rather than have my eye, because we, we cannot possibly conceive that God has an actual eye, uh, or two, right. or three, uh, that we must say oh, his... Or a stone with seven eyes, as Zachariah has it later, but go ahead. There you go. <laughs> So there's that. And so, but but the actual, I found that interesting, but the question that I actually had was, uh, the apple of of my eye, is is this referring to, uh, he who touches you, is this referring to, uh, is it referring to Judah uh, geographically or or, um, uh, or Jerusalem or Zion? Because all of these are mentioned previously in in the verses running up to it. Uh, Or is it referring to the people that inhabit the day? Is Is it a geographical reference or is it, uh, a reference to the people is is one question. Then the, the next question is, what cross-references, with that in mind, would you uh, align with this particular phrase? Go for it, Ross. Okay, beautiful, beautiful lead-in. Can, can we back up, now that you and I are looking at uh, Bibles which are paginated the same mm. with our Koran Hebrew Bible? Which I'm liking. Um, so so and, we've mentioned this before. People say, what's the best English translation? This is the one that you uh, recommend all the time. And I finally purchased one from, uh, I purchased it from Mariah Bookstore in Jerusalem. And uh, yeah. in, in, in like a 10-second nutshell, why, why do we like this? I tell you, I love it mainly because it has the Hebrew and the English uh, and the thing that I really like about the English is it is uh, it's it's a very literal. How else would you call the translation, Jono? It's yeah, uh, I a think formal it's, translation. It's um, yeah. Uh, not quite a mechanical translation, but certainly a formal translation. And we were just commenting off air how uh, I, I've only just started using it. And I like the way that it uses just a, a, a touch of the old English um, deliberately for clarification grammatically and, and also um, transliterates the, the names yep. of the Hebrew. And it's a really nice combination. I like it a lot, Ross. Yeah. And I was also going to add one other feature, and this leads into what I'd like to do with this conversation is – it preserves within it um, what we call the open and closed spaces in the Hebrew text. So we know that right. uh, that verse and chapters didn't come in until much later, and it was actually a convention developed in Christian Bibles, as I understand it. Uh-huh. So whenever we go to uh, this particular Bible, we look at it in the Hebrew, the English reflects the breaks that are preserved within the Hebrew text. Right if that makes sense. So, you know, it doesn't always, a chapter doesn't always align perfectly with these white spaces. 
So if we want to look at, first of all, the first question um, in chapter 2, verse, I think it's 12 in the Hebrew, 8 in the English, as it reads now, uh, it does say his eye, okay? So that, uh, now, I didn't know about the, what what you mentioned is the, 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 alterations of the scribes. As I remember, there are like 15 of those that are recorded in various places in Jewish literature mm-hmm. where there is this uh, admittance, if you will, that that there were changes made, and a lot of times those are preserved. Uh, we can do another whole episode on that. But yeah. are you saying you read that this is one of them? Uh, evidently, this is one of them, yeah. And the um, as I mentioned, the another Bible that you and I like to use, the Oxford Jewish Study Bible, um, references where that is mentioned. So yeah, in the study okay. notes. And, and we might have to edit this. Let me grab a, a book that I have. This book, because this is an important topic, uh, on these changes, let me just double check that while we're together on the phone. I am looking, Jono, into a book called Introduction to the Masoretico Critical Edition of the Hebrew Bible by C.D. Ginsburg. C.D. Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for um, this section that describes changes by the scribes. Okay. So just, just so that uh, if, if the, we do choose yep. to, to publish this, I'm just reminding listeners this was this began with me just saying to messaging Ross going, Hey, have you got time for a quick question? Which is usually the way our four hour conversations start. That's right. <laughs> and, and and I and that followed a note from me that said, Jono, we don't have time to do this tonight. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's the way it usually goes. So this is an impromptu uh, conversation that, that we're nutting out. As you're listening to it, this is not a this is not a studied out rehearsed thing, but um, I just thought because it is kind of a cool question, I'll hit the record button. Uh, because we, we, and we should have done this in so many conversations that we've had in the past. Just hit the record I know, button. And, I know. Anyway, so what do you got there? Okay, here we go. Uh, Jono, on page 347 of this book by C.D. Ginsburg, mm. under the section 9, Emendations of the Soferine. Now, I won't read all this, but just a couple of uh, snippets. The editorial principle thus laid down that in delicate expressions and anthropomorphisms, are to be removed is also illustrated in the examples which the Sofarim have given of the passages altered in harmony with this canon. Mm-hmm. So so there are various emendation, and I said Sofarim, I think our, re, our listeners will know that that is uh, the Hebrew for scribes. Mm-hmm. And among those, here it says, on Zechariah 2.12, The remark is somewhat different in form, but the same in purport and is as follows. This, quote, this is one of the 18 imitations of the scribes. The sages, their memory is for good and for a blessing. And I'm going to look down. uh, And then it gives in this manuscript that Ginsburg is referring to, uh, it says what you said. It's the Makilta on Exodus 16, 7. Mm-hmm. And it mentions first in the list that Zechariah 2, 12, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye, uh, but the text is altered. So, uh, and I'm not digging through this entire manuscript, but I wanted to see if it was in fact listed because Ginsburg does a really good job of enumerating all of these scribal uh, or alleged scribal changes in the Hebrew Bible. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's that's really interesting. So I wasn't expecting it to come across that when I was just looking into this, uh, but lo and behold, there's a there's a little um, uh, a trivia 
that uh, yeah, grabbed my attention. Tidbit. Yeah, that is a handy book uh, to have in case you get some random question uh, late at night one night. So, <laughs> yep. Now back to Zechariah chapter two. Now the first thing I wanted to point out because it does lead because one of your questions is to whom does this refer? Yeah, who, who um, is the apple of of my eye? That's that, that's the question. Who who, who uh, who's who is, is it the ge- eye? Is it geographical who, or is it in, in relation to the people? This is the question. Right. So follow. Let's follow the white spaces because I've become convinced that these what we call open and closed spaces in the Hebrew Bible often will give us context and keep us within certain bounds so that we're looking at things contextually. Mm-hmm. So if you. If you look at chapter 1, verse 16 of Zechariah, uh-huh. Therefore thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be rebuilt, and it says the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth over Jerusalem. Yeah. Proclaim further, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Yeah. So as we go into this second chapter, we're setting the stage that Jerusalem has become center focus again. All right, are we together I'm, I'm on you. that? Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely with you, and that seems to be uh, it go seems ahead. to be the focus. I, I mean, that that was my um, speculation, where it says uh, in I'm looking at verse six, for example, uh, to measure Jerusalem and to, to see the so someone comes out with a measuring line uh, to to measure, measure Jerusalem, and God is saying, look. It's going to be like an unwalled city because the amount of people and cattle and so forth that's going in and out of there, uh, nevertheless, I will be like a wall of fire around about and uh, to her, uh, and this is the the city of Jerusalem as I understand it. And it seems to me from from just my my reading, um, the apple of his eyes is Jerusalem. Is that the conclusion that you would come to? Um, well, no, I'm not there yet. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I was going to keep working through this because oh, yeah, we, we now, can do it. now, okay. So look at chapter two, verse one. Now, verse one and two are set off by white space. Yeah. All right. So this is like a snapshot. Then I lifted up my eyes. Now this presumably would be Zechariah. Mm-hmm. And I saw and beheld four horns. And I said to the angel that talked with me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Right. Space. Now, verse three, new, new section. And the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, then said I, what are they coming to do? And he spoke, saying, those were the horns which scattered Judah, so that no man could lift up his head, but these are come to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations, which lifted up their horns over the land of Judah to scatter it. Mm -hmm. Space. Now we start another one. Now this one goes from five to nine. I lifted up my eyes again and looked. Again, I see this as Zechariah speaking. And behold, by the way, one of the things I want you to start noticing is who is speaking about whom? This leads us into the question about who is the apple and whose eye is so forth. So I lifted up my eyes again, looked, behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where dost thou go? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth of it and what is the length of it. And behold, the angel that talked with me went out and another angel went out to meet him. And he said to him, run, speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited like unwalled towns because of the multitude of men 
and cattle that shall be in it. For I, says the Lord, will be to her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Uh Now, there's a switch here that's subtle, and I won't really zoom in on it yet, but there's a switching that happens, and we have to wonder who is speaking about whom. Now, verse 10, uh, verse 10 and 11 go together. Yeah. Ho, ho, flee then from the land of the north. A little bit of Christmas says, cheer. Ho, 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 yeah. ho, flee. Just, that's, that's, now, tis now, the season look, after all. It's the season. Who's yeah. talking here, Jono? Ho, ho, flee then from the land of the north, says the Lord. There you go. Who's, who's talking? Yep. The Lord. Yep. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Escape, O Zion, that dwell with the daughter of Bavel. Now, this is where I really want to get focused because we're almost to our question. For thus says the Lord of hosts, now this is where I want you to follow who's speaking about whom. Thus says the Lord of hosts, because of his honor, he sent me to the nations which spoiled you. For he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. I'm going to finish. For behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall be a spoil to those who serve them. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now, did that hit you, or did I not read it carefully enough? So it begins. But thus the says Lord the Lord of, of hosts, right? Now, well, the interesting thing. Okay, so I, I think I can see where you're going, and I have I haven't really dissected it. But what I have noticed is that most translations that I look at uh, are using brackets when it comes to uh, because of His honor, He sent me to the nations which spoiled you. For he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. Uh, why are now, they, Why is this in brackets? Is there something in the Hebrew that would justify the brackets here? No, that's the question. So what, what this bracket is trying to do is separate out something which creates a difficulty in the flow of the English. Huh. In other words, it's so complex, Jono, this is my view, that they're trying to break it so that you can uh, parenthetically make a statement that is not attributed to the initial spokesperson. Right. Okay. Because it says, for thus says the Lord of hosts. And then there's, there's a, because, you know, da, 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 da. And then it, it, and then it's, it's trying, the text is trying to make out, or the way that it's set out is trying to make out that that which the Lord of hosts says uh, begins with, for behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall be a spoil to those who serve them. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. But then that ah, doesn't make sense, does it? Right. See, that's the difficulty. So what we have is, and, and this is just you and I having a conversation, looking at a text that is quite difficult and interesting. It appears, um, and, and by the way, this is fairly accurate to the Hebrew based on my understanding. It appears that the Lord of hosts is saying, we would agree in verse 13, I would assume that it's the Lord saying, I will shake my hand over them and they shall be a spoil to those who serve them. That sounds like something that would be attributed to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord continues. There's no break. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Mm. Now, if someone were to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that is a shift. And now we have Zechariah. Let's read the next section from verse 14 to 17, and then we'll unpack it. Okay, so sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, says the Lord. Okay, this is good. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord on that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in the midst of thee and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent uh, <laughs> sent me to thee. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you might as well. This is who the Lord of Hosts is sending the Lord, and the, and He's saying that. Yeah, it's all mixed up, s- isn't it? So, okay. but but we do now. Just correct me though, because we do see uh, th- this is not unique in a prophet mixing first person, like like speaking in the first person of God, but also speaking uh, as themselves. But but it, I, I, are you? I'm, I'm kind of wondering if you're hinting that this is unique in that it's mixed up in this way, whereas uh, in other places it's it's kind of separated. But what's your? You, you're bringing up exactly what I was thinking about. First of all, you, you make a very uh, astute observation here, uh, and by bringing up that within the prophets we get examples where a reading of the text is sometimes uh, combining a first person and a third person. And uh, several years ago, Dr. James Tabor and I worked through the Hebrew Bible, noting every instance of this uh, special case, the mixing Uh of first and third person. And this one, this chapter one and two, the end of chapter one and throughout the chapter, second chapter of Zechariah, is the single most complex in all of the Hebrew Bible. Because it, because it's almost they, as if it's almost as if two people are speaking out of one mouth at the same time. It is, and and, and you have with now. I'm not interpreting it. I'm not saying what it could possibly mean. So bear with me because some people would immediately get nervous and say I'm speaking heresy. But it clearly looks like that one Lord, L-O-R-D, by the way, in the Hebrew text, this is yod heh vav this is hmm. Hashem, the name, is describing the actions of another also called yod heh vav Now, again, I'm not interpreting it and I'm not jumping on a heretical basis. Bandwagon. I'm just saying this is a very deep text. So the point that you brought up initially about, wait a minute, who is speaking and saying that someone else is the apple of his eye? Who is the his and and who is the one to who this to whom this is referring? Hmm. What is even deeper in this text is that we have a very complicated conversation that's being uh, recorded here, and it becomes difficult to determine throughout the whole thing who's speaking about whom. This is one of my favorite passages, and not so because I have the answer, but because I think it's so interesting. That's funny, Uh, because I I, I mean, I was was struggling to find, uh, see, I found, you know how I find little things like this weird. So I'm looking for cross-references that I would have thought would be easy to come by. But there seems to be a lack of uh, of cross references in reputable cross reference uh, avenues, which always heightens my curiosity. And I think, why is the case? And it would appear it's because there's some can I say ambiguity about exactly what this is referring to. Therefore, how how concretely can we cross reference? And the only the cross referencing I could find that that uh, most uh, avenues felt comfortable with. Was any other reference to uh, the the phrase "apple of one's eye," of which there are you know a couple, but it's not that's not what I'm looking at. What I'm looking for is whom is this referring to, and because it doesn't come across absolutely clearly, no one's really willing to touch it. Uh, that's right. And I thought, I bet you Ross will know about this. Now again, people, this is all off the top of Ross's head, so keep going, mate. Yeah. So, 
So there is a passage in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. Um, okay, and, now and I'm, there, yeah. Yep. Okay, so if you look at that one, first read it in English, Jono, and then let's see if it's the same thing or if it's something different. All right, so 3210, uh, in, in the English, I've got, uh, he found him in his desert and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness, boy, we were there just recently, uh, he encircled yeah. him. Uh, he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is the English, you make a direct association. The apple of his eye, the apple of his eye. Perfect connection in English. Um, but in Deuteronomy 32.10, the word used for apple is ishin. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, ishon. And and uh, here in Zechariah, it's uh, it's not that. I'm looking. My Hebrew is very tiny here. Ba- uh, vavat. Vavate no. It's a different word. See, this is the only place based on a quick search in my accordance Bible software. Yeah, it is it is clearly the only occurrence of this word. I just looked in Brown Driver okay. Bridge. Yeah. Uh Bavat. Bavate no, apple of his eye. Um so first of all, that that's kind of a questionable translation. And uh we we might have to look at that some more just to try to figure it out. It's not even so we don't have enough uh, to go on. If we if we had some cross references, which is where you started, mm. yeah, it might be a little bit easier to say, oh yeah. But I don't even know that Deuteronomy thirty two is uh, now that it's it doesn't match in the Hebrew. That's for sure. Sure. Okay, so what if Zechariah 2a was still stuck on that? By the way, I would add that that your reference that you brought up, Psalm 17, 8, Uh uh, in that one, it uses the same Hebrew word for apple as we see in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy. 30.10. It's shown. So this this Zechariah passage stands out for a number of reasons. Um, One is clearly this... um, this strange going back and forth and a unique word that's translated apple. And uh, I need to do a little study on that just to see. But but the context, as we just read through, is clearly that uh, the Lord will choose again Jerusalem. And so this is the context, and he's going to rebuild the house and so forth. But to me, the most bizarre thing is who is speaking? Now, we do have, as you pointed out, examples where the prophet uh, is speaking as a man, let's say, just to lack of a better way to put it, and and then he begins to speak first person mm. for God. Mm. And let me, can I give you a, an example that's yeah. pretty clear? You ready? Because, because to my recollection, Moses does this a little bit, but, but you seem to be, if I'm reading you right, if I'm reading between the lines, no one intermingles this phenomena like like Zechariah chapter 2. Yeah, that's right. It, it really stands out. But look at, just to give people a, one example of where this happens in the text, uh-huh. uh, in the Torah, where Moses does it. Right. Uh, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 29. Um, and I just want to read, uh, well, let's just start in verse 1 so we get contextually who is speaking. All right, so I've got, well, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them... All right, uh, who's speaking? Well, it seems like Moses is speaking, right? Quote, you have seen all that the Lord did uh, before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to his servants and to all the land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders... Yet the Lord, this is verse 4, yet the Lord 
has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear that uh, to this very day and you have led uh, and I and I have led you 40 years in the wilderness your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet but um, you have not eaten you have not eaten bread nor have drunk wine or similar drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God all right uh, that's it okay that's it stop there so now clearly um, Moses is speaking, and you would expect, one would expect that when they got to this last verse, it would say, you've not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink, that you might know that he mm. is Lord your God. But we have a switch in there, and it switches to first person. Um, now we do see this quite a bit in the prophets. Sometimes it's preceded by a phrase in Hebrew, koamar Hashem, or koamar Adonai. Mm -hmm. um, and that signals, thus says the Lord, and then the Lord begins to speak. And I, when I say Lord, I mean yod heh vav -Heh. Uh, We see this over and over and over. But what's so interesting about some of these passages is, without any warning, you're, you're left to determine is this the prophet speaking, and is he then speaking first person? You right. know, it's like Second uh, Samuel chapter ten, verse six, I believe, or First uh, Samuel ten six, uh, where it says, "The spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you'll be a different person." This is my understanding: is that when a prophet speaks first person for the Creator, uh, it, it ought to give us pause. It, no other literature does this. You won't find it in the Christian writings. Mm -hmm. You won't find it in, in uh, the Quran, anything like that. It's only in the Hebrew Bible. It's a stamp of authenticity and what I think is a stamp of uh, divine uh, speech. Sure. So it really, I love Zechariah too because it creates this complex situation where mm. we have to determine uh, whose honor. You know, back to verse twelve. Thus says the Lord of Hosts. The parentheses aren't in the Hebrew because of His honor. Whose honor? He sent me to the nations which spoiled you. For He that touches you touches the apple of His eye. Very, very strange. Mm. And then it ends with, "You shall know that the Lord of Hosts has sent me." So I ask you, uh, the way we started this was, who is speaking, and uh, to what does this, if apple is the right translation, uh, what does it mean, the apple of his eye? Who's I? So, well, yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I, uh, I, I guess looking at uh, the example that you raised in Deuteronomy chapter 29, it's fair to, to say, well, um, this seems out of place. This is a little bit odd, but clearly in the greater context of Deuteronomy, nowhere else is uh, Moses trying to assert to us that he is the Lord our God. Um, so clearly there is a, a, a sudden switching into the first person of God in the conversation. I think that's a fair conclusion to come to. Here yeah. in uh, Zechariah, it's a little, it takes a little bit more uh, math, if you like. It's, it's a yeah. little bit more dissection and, and analysis because he's back and forth and back and forth. Um, yep. and, and clearly when I've, when I've just, you know, I've just out of curiosity, something popped into my head and I thought, oh, I'm just going to have another look at that first because I, I was really looking for cross references. I still am. And we're going to come back to that, but, uh, I've bitten off more than I can chew on various levels. So this is, this is really fun. Now, one other thing though, I will say, uh, based on the context without getting into the complexities that we just discussed. I would read verse 12 uh, just as you suggested. In other words, I think that the apple of his eye is referring to Jerusalem. And uh, I think that uh, 
that that the nations have spoiled Jerusalem and that Hashem is saying the one, whoever it is of the nations, if you will, that touches Jerusalem touches the apple of his eye, if apple is the correct. You know, in other that, words, th- that's yeah. the way I read and that, And that seems to be, that is the conclusion I came to. Uh, that seems to be supported in the surrounding verses that the context seems to make that fair. But then, with that in mind, if that is the fair conclusion, I think it's you know I think it is. Uh, what would you, with that in mind, what would you uh, cross reference that to? Give me some other passages where God refers to uh, Jerusalem or, or indeed Israel as a whole geographically as uh, uh, such a treasure, as something so protected. Well, now when you say treasure, I come up with different verses. But as far as this idea of the apple of his eye, I don't have a cross reference at all that comes to mind. Yeah, not not necessarily that particular phrase, but that general um, uh, implication uh, as as something to be protected, a heightened sense of protection, a heightened sense of of uh, attention, even and uh, and a heightened sense of concern uh, for, uh, say, Jerusalem or even Israel geographically as a whole. Well, I would. There are a couple of texts. Uh, one is uh, the idea that comes to mind: Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter eleven, verse thirteen. Uh, where it says that God's eyes are on, I'm paraphrasing, this land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. It's like his protective eyes on this place. Uh, that obviously comes to mind. Have you thought about that one? Oh, sorry, go to go to verse uh, 11 and 12. 11 and 12 leading up to that. Uh... Uh, verse, verse 10, where the white space starts. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, uh, a land which is uh, which the Lord your God, uh, for which the Lord your God cares. Uh, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one, um, and it's the first one that comes to my mind. Now, just as a side point, I pulled off my shelf. Uh, from my library. This is by Judaica Books of the Prophets. It's the Book of the Twelve Prophets uh, by Judaica Press. Anyway, here's the comment on for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. The comment says, if one touches the apple of his eye with any force, he will surely injure his eye. So it is, if one injures Israel, such a nation will bring harm upon himself. Red Dock. This is a quote from Red Dock, I guess. The sages interpret this as a euphemism, as though it were written, touches the apple of my eye, meaning that, so to speak, when one harms Israel, it is as though he inflicts harm upon the Almighty himself. Uh, they give a reference to Exodus 15.7, the Makilta on Exodus 15.7. Now, that might just be... That brings us back there, yeah. Brings us back to what we were talking about and the note uh, that the sages made on the emendations of the scribes. Uh, yeah, because 1517 uh, doesn't have that exact phrase. <clears throat> okay. So we have a, we have a, a handful of, uh, of verses, and the reason why I uh, went looking for that was because I was curious uh, as to verses where God would justify a heightened sense of, uh, uh, of concern for Israel. Uh, you and I have just come back from Israel, and we were in Ashkelon when the rockets started, you know, firing yep. into the air from Gaza. Uh, I woke up that morning to the to the siren. I rushed to the window, which is what you're not supposed to do, 
and saw the <laughs> <laughs> saw the rocket going up and the iron dome take out that rocket uh, and um and 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 it reminded me of this particular verse in in Zechariah and I thought how many other verses do we have like that where uh, God is watching over the land with a heightened sense of uh, of um a concern or or yeah care uh, uh, an extreme care and protective sense over Jerusalem yeah a heightened sense of protection yeah yeah over over Jerusalem and and uh, perhaps even the the land of Israel you would think it would be easy to find but it's um, to my surprise the the Tanakh is not overflowing with these verses yeah I just I just thought of uh, Psalm 121 mm-hmm. uh, verse 4 and off the top of my head the uh, he who watches Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That idea comes across, you know, like he's ever watching. Mm. Yeah. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Uh, the Lord is your shade upon your right hand. Uh, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He'll preserve your soul and so forth and so on. So, yeah, that's good. So uh, just again, what is that one there? Uh, Psalm 121, uh, verse four in particular, he who watches Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Yeah, this might've taken you in a different direction, but I think, uh, we're onto some stuff here. I'm just like flying birds. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. Hello. He will protect it and deliver it. He will pass over and rescue it. This is Isaiah 31, verse 5. Uh-huh. All right. And that gives me a cross-reference to Deuteronomy 33, 29. If we have a look at 33, 29, how happy are you, Israel? Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is the shield that protects you. Oh, this is what I'm looking for. The sword you boast in. Your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread on their backs. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's the kind of uh, cross-reference I'm looking for. Yeah, uh, this I'm liking. Okay, there we go. That's what I was looking for. I knew I knew we'd get there eventually. There you go. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, think, uh, yeah, this is uh, it's really fun, and and uh, I, I have to say that Zachariah, uh, when I really want to have some fun and just read, I, of course, I love all the prophets, but uh, at, as you know, one of my sons is named Zachariah, and yeah. at that time in my life, I was really, really like pouring a lot of hours into Zechariah for things like we just discussed. It's it's a fascinating book, and uh, not not just because of uh, this thing that we just went through, but the entire book to me is fascinating. A lot mm-hmm. of uh, prophetic language there and references that are considered messianic, you know, the branch and mm. uh, Zemach and all these different things. Uh, eschatology is just ripe in there. Isn't it? Then by the time you get to Zechariah 14, you have some real Really incredible images, and uh, so it's it's one of my favorite books. But well, thank you, my friend. I I don't know how long we've been on this call, but um, <laughs> once again, I message you and I go, "Hey, just a quick question." Yeah. Hey, you know you know how to hook me in though. If it's uh, you and I both have fun with these kind of things, and we we may not solve it, uh, but I tell you what, we certainly get in deeper every time we talk. We may not find our way out ever, but we can certainly get in deep, can't we? <laughs> We can get in deep. As I said, I, I had bitten off more than I can chew, so thanks for helping me chew that through. Ross Nichols, United Israel, unitedisrael.org. There you go. Thank you, my friend. Hey, man. It's always a pleasure, Jonah. I love talking Bible with you.
UnitedIsrael.org, UnitedIsrael.org is the website of United Israel World Union, of which Ross is a vice president. What's happening there, Ross? I'll tell you, Jono, the most exciting things are going on at United Israel, chief of which is that every Saturday morning, every Shabbat Mm -hmm. at 10.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, every Saturday morning at 10.30, I teach for about an hour. Now, this is on the United Israel Facebook page, and it's also live streamed on YouTube. For those fine friends in other parts of the world that just the timing doesn't work out, These are archived on our website, on YouTube, and our Facebook page. So I just want to invite people to join us, United Israel. Coming up this November, dear listeners, the Tanakh Tour, the annual Tanakh Tour, with myself, Ross Nichols, and Rabbi Tovia Singer. And we would love to have you join us, dear listeners. And who wouldn't want to go, Jono? Think about it. Being in Israel for nine days with you, me, Rabbi Singer, Literally, you're walking out the pages of the Bible. Who wouldn't want to do that? Simply go to truthtoyou.org. There's space left on the Tanakh Tour. We would love for you to come with us.